Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. For over a year, BuzzFeed News reporters Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold had been reporting on President Trump and his campaign's ties to Russia, breaking major stories and trying to follow the money. We had both been fantasizing about this mother load. I just remember Anthony was like, oh my God, oh my God. They'd received thousands of secret government documents that revealed that banks all over the world had moved money for terrorists and criminals and drug dealers. And the U.S. government knows about it. We see actual human beings pulling the levers that allow this sort of criminal misconduct to go on. I'm Azine Gureshi. Join me for our new podcast, Suspicious Activity, Inside the FinCEN Files. We'll dive into the story these secret documents tell and take you behind the scenes with my colleagues at BuzzFeed News as they reported it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Find it on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. been different or similar to college kids. It's way, just way easier. Um, you know, every guy that's here is here because he's been excellent at what he does. Um, you know, he knows what it takes to be a pro. You know, we're of the same age, you know, I'm not my age. <laughs> Obviously, I'm 20 years older, don't get me wrong. But we have, you know, you know, there's just a different, you know, thing. When you're dealing with college kids, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. But, you know, you're taking them right after they move out of the home, right? They have all different distractions in school and stuff. And so it's, just a, it's a different process. You know, this is, you know, I, I talk about my kids with guys who have kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, um, they love the game. The game treats them well. They want to extend their career. I love the game. The game's treated me well. I want to extend my career. So we're so common. Uh, there's so many commonalities between players and coaches. I just try to always reduce it down to people. You know, just, hey, we're all people. We all have the same old stream spheres. Uh, keep it about that. Sports Radio FNC, welcome to the 4 o'clock hour on Wilson and Parcel and Josh. The the line there, it's uh, easier to coach in the pros there. That's an easier line to say on, uh, let's say, August 17th of your first year uh, than it might be in, I don't know, November of December of this year for Matt Rule. Yeah, that, that was my first takeaway in hearing that is, you know, I, yeah, Matt Rule, I'm sure, loves connecting with the guys now, and and it's great. Uh, if you're 2-7 and seven in, midway through the season, how are you connecting with the players then? That's going to be a telltale sign for Matt Rule. And it's a big reason why, you know, we saw last year in Miami, Brian Flores have so much success. That was a guy that, despite all of the turmoil, and let's face it, I think Miami went through more adversity at the beginning of last season than I think the Panthers will this coming year, just because Miami, I mean, they were shipping guys out left and right. There were a lot more veterans on the team 
uh, at the beginning of the year in Miami who just weren't about what the Dolphins' vision was than I think the Panthers. So This is like first-time parents. This is like a first-time parent, like five days into parenting, being like, the babies aren't in sleep schedule. This parenting thing's easy. Right. It's like, talk to me when they're teething, bro. Right. All right, when when uh, when you're having to wake up at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday and you haven't slept in a month, then let's talk about how easy or hard parenting really is. Yeah, and right now it's just they haven't been faced with literally any adversity on the field. Obviously, the pandemic has changed things, but – in terms of losses and injuries and position battles and stuff. They just they haven't really dealt with that yet. But, look, I think Matt Rule has the kind of temperament that will translate to the NFL. Guys seem to like him a lot. But the thing with you know that kind of approach, and there's great videos of him today getting in the middle of drills, and players always love that stuff, and it's fun as a way to kind of keep things loose and energetic in camp. Uh, you know That stuff plays well when you're 0-0. Zero and zero. But does it play well when you're... Two and seven. Does it play well coming off of a four and twelve year? Those sort of things, and and that may be what the Panthers are up against at the end of this season. So having that same sort of energy year over year and keeping guys buying in, even as you know you start to hit those inevitable struggles, will be a big telltale sign for Matt Rule, no question. But in, in terms of it being easier to coach the pros, I believe that this Panthers team seems pretty. I mean, <laughs> easy to coach in a sense. They've got a lot of really. Well-behaved guys. They don't have a ton of ego on this team. There's not a lot of guys that are difficult to coach, which is something that happens when you go to the pros. When you coach 20-year-old kids on scholarship, even the star players, it's a little easier to manage them and keep them in line than it is an adult, a fully grown adult who might be a pro bowler, an all-pro, an MVP, a Super Bowl champion, whatever it is, and making $100 million. It's it's tougher to to, to manage those guys than it is 19-year-olds. That's just human nature. Well, and I mean, we've heard, from what we've heard from from the practices, and the Panthers had their first padded practice today, uh, but from what we've heard from some of the different practices, are things like a really up-tempo practice with a lot of noise. We've heard, uh, you know, we've seen Matt Rule's videos where he's we're getting in drills joe brady getting in drills there and matt rule encouraging that we've heard about matt rule changing the the quarterback jerseys from from red to green and i and i it it does open up the question which is the thing that matt rule is trying to succeed at that so many guys have failed at and that is whether rule style will translate to the nfl and with that is the subtext of a guy trying to make the jump really for the first sustained time in his career from college football to to the pros, I'll caution there are a lot of people just automatically get into just straight college coaches, meaning guys who have very little NFL experience don't transition into the pros. There's a lot of different reasons why great college football coaches didn't translate, and each one of them, it's not as if there was a through line outside of the fact they were from college, Josh. There have only been in modern NFL history six guys that have gone from college to the NFL and been really, really good coaches. I mean, maybe a handful of others had sporadic success, but, you know, Pete Carroll has done a magnificent job. Granted, he was an NFL guy that became a college guy and then went back to the NFL. So he kind of half counts. Jim Harbaugh was a college coach, came to the NFL, but again, NFL player, so a little bit there. He, he's more familiar with the dynamic of the NFL than guys who have not spent any time there. So I'll give Harbaugh some credit that, for that. 
Jimmy Johnson, of course, had a ton of success. Big reason why Jimmy succeeded. Not the only, but a big reason why Jimmy Johnson was great. The guy had control of the roster. He wasn't the official GM, but it, I mean, he was doing the draft. He was running for, uh, you know, well, free agency at the time, but he was running, signing guys. He was building that roster. And they had ridiculous draft collateral, like once in a millennium kind of draft collateral. Right. Which Jimmy was a part of that with the, what the Herschel Walker trade, correct? Uh, I'm not mistaken. When that. Mm, yes. Yeah. So J- Jimmy, Jimmy had a big role in helping build that roster, which is somewhat unusual for an NFL coach. Uh, Barry Switzer kind of had success, but won mostly with Jimmy's guys, Tom Coughlin, and then Bill Walsh. I mean, but that's almost a different era. That's like the cutoff for modern NFL. So there's just not a lot of names of guys who have made that jump from college to the NFL and done so successfully. The big reason, and I've said this before, but the big reason why I think Matt Rule is better equipped to win in the NFL eventually is the fact that he did not enjoy coaching the best teams in college. He did not coach at Miami. He did not coach at Oklahoma. He did not coach at USC, right? He's coming from a place where he had to out scheme and help develop the the teams that he was facing on a weekly basis. They did not have the same sort of talent as Texas. They were not as talented as Oklahoma state, but they beat them over and over again. They certainly didn't have as much talent as Oklahoma. They had eight four-star recruits in three years. Oklahoma had 48, four and five-star kids in the same span, but they had a, a three touchdown lead on Oklahoma in the regular season, lost it, but had but had him on the ropes, and then had him on the ropes again with a backup quarterback in the Big 12 championship game. That's what encourages me about Matt Rule is the guy knows how to coach, not just how to recruit. And a lot of times in college, those lines get blurred. Yeah, I also think in the, in the in the vast conversation of Matt Rule college coach becoming Matt Rule NFL coach, I also think that the disparity between college and the pros has never been, you know, that gap is is closer. If you look at the way college programs are led today and the way they were 30 years ago, it, it's, it's not the same. And if you look at the NFL and you look at the way that it's run, while it's still very much the professionalized version of football, and while you still do have a lot older players in there, it's also a game where youth has continued to be Prevalent. Marty Herney will tell you the Kansas City Chiefs, Josh, were one of the youngest teams in the NFL. And they won the Super Bowl. Uh, so I do think that the, the through lines, obviously the jobs in college and jobs in the pros are different, but but good good coaches can coach football, kind of similar to what you've said. If, if he's shown that in college, it's not as if it's like Chip Kelly, where Chip Kelly's thing was he's an offensive mastermind and turned out everybody hated him. Right, exactly. And that's another part of why I like rule is that rule is a very well-rounded guy that when you get to the NFL, you know, if you can, you don't necessarily have to be a whiz kid play caller. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is McVay is a very great play caller. There, there are a handful of other Doug Peterson is kind of in that realm as guys who are really bright play callers. There are some of those, but rule isn't, that isn't his thing, but you don't have to be that in the NFL. I think rule has to be a great manager and a guy who understands the football from a 360 degree point of view. And he's coached eight different positions. I believe it is. Um, so he's been in a lot of different rooms. He spent a, a small amount of time in the NFL. I think he'll be fine. I, I look, they're going to be bad this year and it's the Brian Flores test. I mean, that, that's what, that's what I'm judging Matt rule on is, you know, I love that the players are saying good things about the coach in August. There is not a lot of guys out there that say bad things on August 17th at any place, Carolina, Kansas city. It doesn't matter. Everybody feels great about themselves now, but when you're, 
You know, like I said, if they're two and seven, one and eight, or even three and six, whatever it might be, if you're losing ball games and they're stacking up, the pressure's getting to you a little bit. You need to win games because it is the NFL. Do you keep the players coming back every single week? Are they showing up Monday morning or Tuesday morning after an off day, ready to go back to work the next week? Are they ready to put in the same effort they were putting in before the season started, even now that their playoff dreams have been dashed or whatever it might be? Brian Flores was able to do that last year in a very similar situation, not identical, but similar situation to rule. Now I'm looking at that for Matt rule this year. What are they saying in November, not what they're saying in August. Everybody's happy in August. How are you feeling week 12? Well, I also think it's just a moving target. We don't give enough people. We don't give uh, coaches credit enough for how tough their job is. Cause not only do they, does he have to keep them bought in through November, but he's got to keep them bought in through next year. If they, they struggle, wh- whether it's with Trevor Lawrence is the starting quarterback like that. Like, listen, if, if you go through this season and it's a rough season and you get Trevor Lawrence, the fans are back on, in right if you get justin fields the fans are back in because you have something to hope on and wish on and dream on players are different locker rooms are different when you go from uh let's say two and 14 by next camp all off season you have to keep keep them bought in and then next year if you start out and struggle you have to keep them bought in the reason why there's such a huge fail rate of, of coaches in the NFL is keeping them bought in is, is I, I mean, just a million times more difficult than keeping fans bought in on you. Thankfully for rule, there's not a ton of guys in this team that they're committed to. And I think a big reason why Miami was able to turn it around at the end of last season was because they had weeded out the player, talented players. I mean, Tunsil was gone early. Minka Fitzpatrick was gone in the middle of the season, still early, but middle of the season. They had talented players that they let go, but by the midpoint of last season, the guys who were in that locker room, even though the losses were piling up, they knew what the plan was, and their young guys were hungry to prove themselves, too. I mean, there's the winning component to this. There's also the money part of this, and there's playing well so that you have good film, you have good numbers, and you get paid. And that's what you can sell if you're a pro coach. You can't do that in college. You can sell as a pro coach is, hey, look, yes, this is a struggle right now. We're not ready to necessarily, maybe we're not where the Saints are. We're not where the Buccaneers are. But we can be if you trust in this. If you've got a lot of young guys, that's an easier sell. If this was a, if you took last year's roster and put them back and ran it back this year. We saw how badly that ended last year. When you and no, I mean, I mean, it's all respect to the guys who are gone. But when you have Gerald McCoy and Dontari Poe and Eric Reed and Greg Olson and the guys who have been around this place for a long time, been around this league and want to win, they're not about long term rebuilds. They don't want to be a part of that. But I think I think Matt Rule has guys here that will 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 stick to his message. And Matt Rule is the kind of guy who has a message that resonates. Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. Will Matt Rule's style translate to the NFL? Uh, not a different experience, but I think we've seen a guy with a similar energy and similar way about him and Pete Carroll have success. I, I I think Matt Rule can. It is much like Josh has talked about, keeping them bought in from now on in the future. The roster matters. The front office matters. Ownership matters. It all matters on Sports Radio FNC. Coming up in about 25 minutes here on Wilson and Parcel. 
Uh, the latest from uh, college football is that uh, Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields has made a petition to try and request and push the Big Ten into reinstating the 2020 college football season for that conference. But out of the ACC, while they are still on at the moment, uh, discouraging news out of Chapel Hill, Josh, as uh, UNC Chapel Hill announcing it will be transitioning all undergraduate classes to fully online instruction and that uh, apparently the university's COVID positivity rate rose from 2.8% to 13.6%. This, these are the kind of things you got to pay attention to uh, when we try and look at indicators for, for ACC and potential football. Right. And so there's no indication that I see uh, as the story is, is ongoing about how this would affect uh, athletes, uh, it, it looks like, yeah, they even have writers for, for the da- the Daily Tar Heel, which is a student newspaper, although they've been very good the last couple of days of reporting on this. Uh, they are awaiting news on what it's going to do to affect athletes and international students and other things of that nature. But look, the NCAA has a problem on its hands. And I don't mean the NCAA, I just mean college sports, because they can recognize that athletes are more valuable to their bottom line than the average student, and they can create a special exception for them and leave them on campus. I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, Or they can continue to try to trumpet some weird line about amateurism and that they're students first and athletes second, when in reality, the athletic component of that is much more important than they are willing to acknowledge. If if they want to keep football this fall, if UNC wants to play football, and I know that they do, they would like to, then there's going to need to be an, a special exception made. I, I, I my my guess is that there will be, but we will see how that uh, how that comes to play. But look, this is not gonna. I, I don't know that this is gonna stay with North Carolina. We've seen any number of uh, examples over the last few months of places that don't follow proper protocols, don't fo- follow social distancing, don't follow masks, it, congregate together. There's a lot of parties at Chapel Hill that led to this uh, that have led to a, an increase in an outbreak. I, I don't know that UNC will be the only place that, that goes through this in the next few weeks. So that's the latest from the landscape of college athletics. Uh, we were just having the conversation about Matt Rule and whether his style will translate to the NFL. I thought it was interesting in in having that conversation about the new head coach here, uh, I also thought it was interesting to look at Josh Parcell on your Twitter handle at a poll you put out before the show, and which is which coach will win more games over the next five seasons, Matt Rule or Ron Rivera, our old coach here. And 67.5% say uh, that they think Matt Rule will win more games over the next five years. I think if you look at the division that they play in, I would rather be in the NFC East over the next few years than I would rather be in the NFC South. Just short-term thinking here, the next two to three years. I would uh, rather have that roster today for the next three years starting out than the roster here as it stands right now. Uh, the front office is is probably, I'd probably want to have the Washington front office because it's Ron Rivera and Kyle Smith, and I'd still rather have that than Marty Herney. Ownership, we know where that stands, but on a lot of key factors here, I, I look at Washington and the situation Ron's in there, and I think they have a chance to, to certainly be better in the early part of the next five years than Carolina does. Yeah, so I'm going to go Carolina over the next five years. I'll tell you why. There are... There are really five. I I wrote down four, but there's probably a fifth category that I look at when I'm trying to judge broadly. How good are you going to be over the next five years? Quarterback, front office, ownership, 
under 25 talent. Now I would actually add in the future of the rest of your division as well, but, but those main four quarterback is an advantage for Carolina. Either they're going to have a really good Teddy Bridgewater over the next few years, or they're going to have a top three draft pick and they're going to have a a potential franchise talent at quarterback uh, that I don't think Washington could potentially have. Now there's a chance Washington ends up with a top pick as well. A very good chance in fact, but they do have a young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins who they may or may not move on from after two years. That would be pretty fast, not completely unprecedented, but pretty quick in today's NFL. So I go advantage Carolina. I think they have the more stable quarterback situation. Uh, Dwayne Haskins was shaky at best last season and Alex Smith, which is an inspirational story coming off of this severe leg injury. He's 37. So even if by the grace of God, you got the old Alex Smith, I think is he's still old Alex Smith. (laughs) Well, he's basically like the best version of Alex Smith is more or less what I think you would expect from Teddy Bridgewater. So he's 37. He's coming off an injury. I'm not counting on Alex Smith at all, but even best case, I don't think that really changes the equation front office. I slightly lean Washington by default just because there's a bit of an unknown with Washington. Rivera's kind of calling the shots right now, uh, but we'll wait and see what they do with GM replacing Bruce Allen. I know that Marty Herney has struggled in the return. I know he has struggled to draft. I know he has struggled with finding the right free agent. So uh, for that reason, I lean slightly Washington, but that's close to a toss up. Ownership is far and away Carolina right now and just organizational stability, if you want to call it that. But it's 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 out of default. It's because Dan Snyder has been so bad. I think my problem with it is we don't know what's lurking behind the decisions of Dave Tepper. Now, I am so skeptical of young owners. Dave Tepper scares the crap out of me. A fun dude to have around, but. Uh, he is. He's already shown a little bit of an ability to to give Ron two years. He certainly likes Matt Rule, but I still don't think we know what we have in, in Dave Tepper or that he'll be even an average NFL owner. Sure, I mean he's going up against one of the worst owners in history of sports. So I feel comfortable saying Tepper is at least better than that. But under talent, under twenty five talent is again, Washington, they just have more bodies. Now, the best player on either team that's under the age of 25 is McCaffrey. But if you look at Washington, they just drafted Chase Young, who I believe is going to be an immediate impact, high-level player in the NFL. Not high-level rookie, high-level player. Uh, Montez Sweat, uh, Deron Payne, uh, Terry McLaurin, Jonathan Allen, they got a bunch of guys. Carolina has, outside of McCaffrey, DJ Moore, and then probably Derek Brown and Brian Burns, and then that's about it. I mean, maybe, you know, someone else emerges, but guys that we know right now, we feel comfortable saying are going to be cornerstones. That's the list. Washington is a little bit deeper. So I would slightly lean Washington. If we talk division, you know, you mentioned feeling better about the NFC, you know, competing in the NFC East over the next two years. Sure. I mean, I think the South is maybe the best division in football right now. But if we look at the, the timeline of these two teams, both of them are rebuilding. Both of them are going to lose. We would imagine probably double digit games this year and maybe even again next year, especially for Carolina. But when the rebuilds are starting to come over the crest and and get to the other side, what do the divisions look like then? And I feel more comfortable thinking that the saints might be post drew Brees in somewhat of a rebuild, still a great roster. Don't get me wrong, but replacing drew Brees won't be easy. Uh, And I, it's uh, and even if you think new Orleans is still going to be good, 
I think Atlanta is going to be in for a major rebuild in the next two to three years. Same thing with Tampa Bay, who is getting a little bit older, obviously have a quarterback that they're all in on now. I think that Carolina, when they come out of this you know, two-year process, I think the Panthers are going to be closer to competing in their own division than Washington. So but from I, that standpoint, I, I think Carolina has a better five-year outlook than Washington does I, with Rivera. But I think in the East, uh, I think you've got Dak is on the franchise tag right now. But if they don't, that, if they move on from Dak, they're not replacing him with a rookie. They're going to go get a guy. Like they're either well, going to they're well, going to the they're going to tag could be Dak. Said for for Tom Brady. Dak, so for for Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, the same probably can be said for New Orleans, where it looks like they could conceivably try and turn it over to Jameis. Not a guy that I have a lot of coincidence or confidence in, but I would have confidence in Sean Payton trying to get something out of Jameis. Like in in or in Washington, you've got. Carson Wentz, who might not be there in two years because of the injuries. You've got Dak Prescott, who might not be there in two years because of the contractual situation. And you've got Daniel Jones, who who the hell knows what that guy is. Hang on, though. So Dak is the baseline for Dallas. Like, Dallas can only get better. Like, they're either going to have Dak and tag him, or they're going to get somebody who's better than Dak. That could be Aaron Rodgers. That could be Matt Stafford. That could be Minnesota do better than Kirk Cousins? Could Minnesota do better than no, Kirk Cousins? Well, but did did they? Because that was the whole point: is they didn't want to pay Kirk Cousins. They the have money and, they have Kirk Cousins. Well, no, I'm sorry. Did did Washington oh. do better than Kirk Cousins? Because that's how the tag game played out. And they, uh, conceivably, I mean, they there was a wash getting Alex Smith. He just had a, a career-ending almost it injury. Wasn't there? Uh, okay. I mean, Alex Smith is basically cousins. Like they're they're guys that are I, they get you to the playoffs, but they're not guys that you're going to build around. But, right. but 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 I think Dak is the baseline in Dallas. Philadelphia, you might be right. Like there is some uncertainty with Carson Wentz. But could you agree that it's probably it is more likely? That Carson Wentz is the quarterback of the Eagles in three years, then Drew Brees is the quarterback of the Saints? I don't know. Come I, on. I, I'm not being oh, come difficult. Come on. I Drew Brees is retiring you. in a year. I, of I'm course not, it's... I'm not being difficult. I, I just, yeah, well, then we can't have this conversation. If you think Brees is going to be in the NFL in three years, then I don't know what to tell well, you. Well, no, the point <laughs> is I think it's a wash. That's more where I'm coming from. I Listen, I just look at it like this. When trying to compare the situations, who's going to win more games in the next five years, Rula Rivera, uh, you know... Carolina has to draft better. Washington probably has to draft a little bit better, but not to the extent that Carolina does. Where you know, you've you've seen Washington with Kyle Smith and the other parts of that front office actually hit on other players outside of their first rounder. But anyways, both teams have to draft better. Uh, the coaches have to prove themselves, and they have to find themselves a forever quarterback. I, I look at the 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 drafting part of things. Washington has shown the ability to draft better than Carolina has over the past five years, right? If, we, if we're going beyond the first round, certainly they found more late round and undrafted free agents than Carolina does. Uh, if we talk about the coaching, Ron Rivera doesn't have to prove himself. Ron Rivera can coach in the NFL. We don't know that about, uh, about uh, Matt Rule. So really the one thing, and they both have to do it, what it'll come down to is have they found themselves a forever quarterback? You're just more sold on Teddy than I am on that regard. Well, I'm certainly more sold on Teddy than I am Dwayne Haskins. I feel comfortable saying that. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm just <laughs> not sold on on Teddy at all. I, I, I just I think he's a decent quarterback, but I don't think he I don't know that he's going to be here in two years. I think that's the, the if reality. Te- if Teddy is, is, but you have to same thing with the Dak conversation. What's next? Because if because te- Teddy's not the guy. More likely than not, that means the Panthers have bottomed out and they're they're drafting very high and getting a guy that many would view as a franchise-building quarterback. Haskins was not viewed as that guy. Haskins is a first-rounder, 15th pick, 
But you compare what could, what could be Trevor. The guy, they could also be there too. They could, but the the, the Reds, the, the the Washington team is in much a, a much less certain position because Haskins. There, there's probably going to be some division in that building. I would think over a young kid. Do we bail on the young kid? Do we not? Maybe Washington does draft a kid. But I'm asking. The question is, what's more likely? And I think it's more likely that the, that the Panthers either roll with Teddy because he's playing well and they feel good about it. Or they've got a pick that's so high, like a Lawrence or a Fields or Lance, or maybe it's two years from now, it's whoever, Howell, Slovis, whatever the name is, uh, and they've got a better outlook at quarterback than than Washington does. That That's where I go there. I feel better about the situation in Carolina than I do Washington. Most of it is because I think Teddy Bridgewater can be the guy. And I probably would just trust the situation. If, if Marty wasn't here, I think I might feel different. Marty might be gone in a year. Well, yeah, he might so, be, but he is. He, he is yeah. here, and he it, it, he is here seemingly for the foreseeable future. Uh, if Marty wasn't here, maybe I'd lean Carolina. I'll, I just got to trust the the trusted, proven NFL coach to this point. Who wins more games in the next five years? Matt Rule or Ron Rivera will keep this conversation going and buy the boat coming up in 15 minutes here on Wilson and Parcel on Sports Radio FNC. Interesting report coming from baseball is John Morosi, uh, baseball reporter, saying the uh, the Braves look to be amongst the most aggressive teams in looking for rotational help. Come the trade deadline, Atlanta has five quality starts in 23 games this season. Josh, I was watching Max Fried deal this weekend, and I thought now would be a good time for Atlanta to look into to cloning. Because if they could just clone Max Freed, they'd be just one more Max Freed, even not even three or four. We're not going multiplicity here. We're going just one, like the Dolly the sheep. You give me one more Dolly the sheep clone of Max Freed, and you'll be fine. Max Freed has been stupid this year. Uh, he hasn't lost his start. He's been he's been outrageous. And you think about what could have been with that rotation. It's it's a shame. I mean, they have. And they still have a great young, talented rotation, but injuries have gotten you know the best of them. And uh, you know they also were expecting to have Cole Hamels. That that's not going to happen. So, it, what what went from looking like one of the best pitching stabs in baseball is now Max Fried and a bunch of dudes. I kind of think they got to fire their pitching coach though. Rick Kranitz, and and this is I'm going way inside baseball on this. This guy has made he's been kind of a journeyman. He's not really. He's not really been a good pitching coach. And they went from Leo Mazzoni to Roger McDowell to this dude. And I think they got to bail on him before. Because listen, if you're going to be trading for pitching at this deadline, you better be ready to give up the earth and the moon and the rest of the solar system. Because there's going to be a lot of teams in the hunt. There's going to be one or two teams. Even a team that might be in the hunt like Cleveland could be willing to give up part of their pitching depth to add to their uh, lineup or add to their farm system, but you're going to have to overpay beyond what we're usually used to overpaying for at the deadline because of the way this season is shaking out. Yeah, we will see. I, I thought someone made a really good point a couple of weeks ago on the building center text line about this, where, I mean, we're in a better place now than we were, say, a couple of weeks ago, but we don't really know if Major League Baseball is even going to be able to finish its season. I, we feel better now, but 
if they can't, it, you would hate to make a deal for a pitcher to try to go all in on, the, not even all in, but to try to give yourself a better chance to win a title this year, give up a bat, give up a couple young players, and then it not matter in the end. That that would be really devastating. But there's no question for Atlanta, they were 7-3, and three, I believe, when Soroka went down. They're 6-7 and seven since then, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're technically tied for first in the NL East with the Marlins. Uh, the Nationals, although they have some injury issues of their own, uh, three games back, Philadelphia starting to, to play better baseball. I wouldn't say good baseball, but better baseball. So Atlanta is still not not out of the woods in that division by any stretch, and the injuries on the pitching staff are a big reason why. Something that's going to add stress is if Washington or Philadelphia heat up. Because right now, I mean, the, the, the Braves have been afforded a very easy start to the season with the way that pretty much only the Marlins have showed up since coming out of the COVID crisis. The Nats have kind of been sub-500. The Phillies have not kind of lived up to what they I thought they could be this year. Both those teams kind of lurking. I know Strasburg just went on uh, the DL or the IL because of uh, a nerve issue and a shoulder. They still got two starters there. Philadelphia, I think, more is offensively going to be able to do things versus maybe that pitching staff. But if they can get a decent performance by their pitching staff, they're going to be able to put some pressure on this Braves team. And I think kind of king in what you said there. I think that's why it's key for Atlanta if you're going to make a move. Don't overpay for short-term pitching, right? Marcus Stroman opted out, but he's going to be a free agent this year. That would be a guy I wouldn't go and give up anything for because you could lose if, if the season gets canceled at the finish line or if you don't get to the playoffs or you get halfway through the playoffs and you have to bail, you're going to have given up something of value. You're going to have overpaid for a part-time player, basically. I think if you're going to overpay, you might as well go the extra mile and get somebody with one to two years after this year in terms of control so you can maybe maximize your window a little bit. And I still wouldn't uh, – there's still so much – I, I get pissed off because there's so much talent in this rotation. There are a lot of power arms who if you just had some sort of game plan to get these guys in it – these other guys could come around, but I think right now, I think what you're seeing is the pressure of having to be better and, and maybe be ready before they're ready is causing some of these guys to struggle as well, like we've seen with Tukey, like we've seen. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that with Kyle Wright. I think Kyle Wright just might not be very good. Mm, yeah, we'll see. I mean, look, there's some teams in the NL that are already starting to distance themselves from Atlanta. I mean, L.A. is way out ahead of them. You know, Chicago is two games up on them. Uh, you know, the the Rockies are off to a great start as well. They're a game ahead. So, you know, the Braves, if they can't win the division, you know, there's a chance that they fall down, you know, further down the seating in an expanded, you know, major league playoffs. They could have a really tough first round matchup, even as a wild card, a very tough first round matchup. So, you know, Atlanta's in a tough spot right now. And, you know, if, if they had Soroka, this probably looks a little bit differently. Maybe they have an extra win or two on the, on the, the, uh, the record right now, but they don't. And I agree with you. I, I would not sacrifice any of your long-term assets just to try to go in on this year when, I mean, one pitcher is big, but it still only leaves you with two guys that you can truly rely on. Most teams, I think if you really want to win a, a title, you'd like to have three guys that you feel really good about. Atlanta ha only has one at this point. Yeah. I mean, e even in the, what you and I are talking about, this is kind of where the Kranitz things plays into it. Uh, if you want to go trade for a controllable starter, I think that's a smart move. You've got, you got the pieces to do it. But you're going to have to find some way to get 
uh, to Sean. I, I, I keep saying the names. You guys know the names. I mean, it, you're gonna. You've got five or six guys that you can turn to this year. A few of them you've already turned to. You only if you trade for another starter, you only need two more guys to give you some quality, so you can just get into the playoffs and fall back on two to three key starters, and then your bullpen. That it's as easy as that in baseball. Uh, also, it's as hard as that in baseball. Josh, I think I should get some sort of uh, some sort of award for what I pulled off this weekend. Uh, you should. I did. I should. What, um, what is that? Because my uh, my best friend's little boy. It was his birthday. My best friend's in Afghanistan with the Marines, and so it was his my uh, my best friend's little boy's birthday party. And so we decided, since my best friend can't be there, we went out to my uh, my best friend's house with his wife and his two boys, and we celebrated and had kind of a good weekend. That's not why I get the award, though. What I get the award is I had, on back-to-back days, five-hour drives with four women in a truck, and I survived a round-trip total of 10 hours in a truck with four women who spent most of the time disagreeing with each other loudly. Did, did you, uh, I was going to say, did you have any catastrophes? Was there any like near near disaster experiences? I did have a guy actually pull in front of me yesterday on the way home and almost I would have destroyed his car. But it was, it was I got cut off by an idiot. But the biggest thing is I didn't realize for every time a kid says, uh, are we almost there? It is contractually necessary for a parent to say, I can turn this car around. I remember my parents saying and thinking what a D move that is. I now realize there was one point where I, I started like slowing down my car like I was going to pull it off to the side of the road and have my kids walk the rest of the way there. Because of the, what, what were they doing? They were. It's just it's just little kids in a car, man. And it, mm-hmm. it, it was like it was just it was World War Three in my back seat. And uh, I will say, though, uh, you know, by the end of it, we got the rhythm of it, which is that dad threatened him every 30 minutes and we avoided catastrophe that way. I would just randomly threaten them and it seemed to work out. <laughs> that's that's one way to do it. Did you have um, you, do you have like an iPad or something? That, that's the way to keep kids occupied. I've seen so many kids these days. Uh, that you just put a, a screen in front of them. I don't know if it's the best thing for them to be addicted to screens. Probably not. But. I mean, it keeps them quiet on rides. I would not, if we have kids, we've already talked about it. Avery and I, we're not going to give the kids iPads or certainly not give them phones when they're young or anything like that. But in the car, if the drive (laughs) is longer than like 90 minutes, we might have to whip out the iPads. It's for everybody's sake. I'm I'm trying to keep up the good fight. I'm trying. Uh, There were no iPads. We survived without iPads. I, I just, I realize once you give in, there's just no going back. It's time for Josh Parcells by the boat. We had a good week last week. Very good week. Proud of you. Nine and five on the week. That was huge for us. We are uh, back above water. We're cruising, baby. And now we're ready for another big week uh, this week. Quickly on Friday, uh, I had the Nats and Orioles. That play was suspended due to weather, so no action on that. I had Rockets Sixers under 230.5. They hit 230. Uh, the Sixers won 134 to 96 in that game, but we hit the under, so we won on that Proud one. Proud of you. Yankees and Red Sox. I gave you the Yankees minus one and a half runs. I figured they'd win easily. They did. Ten to three. Uh, Yankees win. 
Sweet. <laughs> and that brings us to this week. Here are the picks for tonight. Best bets of the night. We're going all NBA playoffs. Uh, by the way, great game that just wrapped up uh, to kick off the playoffs between the Nuggets and the Jazz. Nuggets won that one. I'm going Boston and Philly. They tip off in a couple of hours. Now, Philadelphia had their way with Boston this season, but injuries to Ben Simmons and actually even Joel Embiid is a little banged up. He's going to go. Uh, have me feeling Boston in this series. Uh, so I'm going to take Boston minus the six and a half tonight. And I also am going to take the over. Boston had the second best offense in the bubble. They are red hot. And that was without a lot of Kemba Walker. You know, Kemba was kind of easing back into things, playing 18, 20 minutes a game until the last three, four. The last three or four games, he's up around 30 minutes a game. So if Kemba Walker is back to the Kemba Walker that we know, Boston's going to be very tough to, uh, to beat. I think they're going to score a ton of points. And I also think Joel Embiid's going to put up 40 on his own. I just don't think it's going to be enough for Philly. So I'm taking the over 217 and a half. And I'm taking Boston to win this game comfortably. I'll take them minus the six and a half. The other game I'm taking, and this is going to be a sneaky good series, is the Clippers and the Mavericks. So I love Luka Doncic. He has he's already, I think, elevated to top 10 player in the league. He might even be top five player in the league. He is that good. He is incredible. He's getting closer. And it, I love watching Dallas play. They're one of my favorite teams to watch. They're better than your average seven seed. But the Clippers are better than your average two seed. They, they're still figuring themselves out a little bit. I think getting into the playoffs will be the best thing that could have happened to the Clippers. Playoff Kawhi is something different. I'm nervous about the spread on this one at six and a half. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chicken out a little bit. I'm going to take the money line, but I'm going to swallow a big line here. I'm going to take the Clippers to win tonight. I think they want to make a statement in the playoffs that they are the team we thought they were. I'll take the Clippers to win. So the three picks tonight, Boston minus six and a half. Over 217 and a half. It's a shootout uh, in Orlando between those two. And then the Clippers to win against Dallas tonight as the NBA playoffs get started. I have told my wife to get ready because we are buying a boat. That is by the boat. It is every single day here on Wilson and Parcel at 445. And uh, and the hoodie has spoken on one Cameron Jarrell Newton. The hoodie has spoken on Sports Radio FNZ.